An invitation to Jesus' table is what we're talking about today. Our second sermon in this series, four sermons in the series. This one, well, we may step on some toes today. And if we do, that's good. And it's not my intention to be the toe stepper, but to let the Scripture do it. If you've looked at your sermon outline, you see we're loaded with Scripture. I don't think this is going to be too fluffy of a sermon. If you want some fluff, I'm sorry. This is going to be about God's Word and what it says to us and taking seriously our preparation to receive the Lord's Supper. And a week from now, we're going to talk about reconciling relationships with others, something that many of us kind of sweep under the rug, even as we say, I'm fine, how are you, to somebody at church that we really don't like or that we may have a grudge against. And we're going to get there next week. And then... We're talking about our love relationship with Jesus in two weeks, but three weeks from today, on Palm Sunday morning, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper together. And I believe because we will have spent the time preparing our hearts and preparing ourselves as a church family, it'll be a special time of worship for us. Not just because it's Palm Sunday and we'll be like, oh, Easter pageant, we've done four performances, we only got one more to go. But... Because Jesus is present with us because we've prepared ourselves and we've invited Him in. But I should say that the other way, shouldn't I? He's invited us in. It's an invitation to His table. When we think about readying ourselves, on a day-to-day basis, we really do it, but we don't even think about it. It's just something, you know, whether we check the weather forecast somewhere along the way or we just know it's winter time, and so we choose to put on another layer or something like that, you know, uh, and, and we just get dressed for the day. You kind of fix your hair in the same old way. Hopefully, you brush your teeth and put on some deodorant, bathe yourself and all that sort of stuff, right? Hopefully, you do that. And then there's certain days that maybe we spend a little more time getting ready, like today to come to church. Look at me, y'all. I dressed as a middle-aged pastor, I mean, this is my pastor uniform. You never guess how excited I was when I got this sweater vest like 15 years ago. I was like, I have a sweater vest. I've arrived as a pastor. And I got khakis and a button-down shirt to go with it. It's like the pastor uniform, right? This is how a pastor should look with the swept-back kind of thinning hair up here. So I dress like, you know, middle-aged pastor today. Y'all dress like you. But maybe you dress a little different than you do on a normal day of the week because you're coming to church and you want to show, even by the appearance of the outside of yourself, that there's something special about it. But think about there's days that we even spend more time getting prepared. Maybe it's a special event like a prom or even a wedding or a special anniversary or a party where you buy special clothes and you fix your hair in a special way and you put more emphasis on it. And there are times when we, because of the event, focus our preparation more so than the day-to-day. And that's what I want to draw our attention to when it comes to thinking about the Lord's Supper. We should prepare ourselves every Sunday to come to worship, knowing that we're going to be in God's house with God's people and asking God, God, do I have any known sin that I need to confess to you in order that I am a vessel that you can fill with your spirit when I sit in this place, that I might learn from you, not the preacher, not the Sunday school teacher, not the singers, but I might learn from you by your Holy Spirit. So we're ready. But when we come to take the Lord's Supper, so many times we come with so little thought. 
And I try to remind us when we observe the Lord's Supper that we need to confess our sins. We need to prepare our hearts. We need to not take the supper in an unworthy manner. We're going to talk about those scriptures this morning. If you haven't already, turn to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Do so, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. We're going to get there in a moment. But Scripture warns us because God loves us that when we're invited to Jesus' table, we need to have prepared ourselves in a special way. Not unlike the Israelite people that were told to sanctify themselves, to make themselves holy, pure, and ready for special occasions of worship. We, too, are to sanctify ourselves. Remember, Jesus in the Last Supper is recorded in Matthew 26. He says, this is my body. He says, this is my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And we come to worship our Lord Jesus because of what He's done for us. We've got our Scripture Memory Verse of the Month that uh, Chris will put up there for us. And it's a new one for us, and we'll hit it even today uh, in our sermon. But let's read it. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 1 John 3.16. We'll talk about that more in a few moments. But if you've got your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'd like to ask you to turn with me there. And we'll actually read, I said verse 23, but we'll read in verse 27. If you're able to stand, would you do so in the honor of reading God's Word as we read 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 32. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Let's pray together. Father, um, this scripture we open this morning and this topic we take up is one that um, really... It's a little bit touchy, makes us a little nervous about what we're going to hear and what it's going to mean for us and how we might need to change, how we need to judge ourselves individually and confess and repent of our sins. But God, as we realize your love for us, we realize that we need to prepare ourselves And that because Jesus is worthy, we must take the time to worship. 
So we pray that you speak to us now by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Well, friends, your first major point on your outline this morning is the need to ready myself for the Lord's Supper. The need to ready myself for the Lord's Supper. And from the passage that we just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 through 32, we get those first four subpoints, and that's why there's the little parentheses with the number in it, because that's the verse it's taken from. So as you look then with me, uh, the first subpoint there, the question is, why should I ready myself? Why? Why is an existential question? Why is a question that could put people on their heels and make them defensive? The better question may be, as you've heard me say before, for what reasons? But why was shorter, so I used why. And why piques our interest? And why should we ready ourselves? Look back at verse 27 there that we just read. Therefore, whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, none of us want to be guilty of any sin. We do commit sins uh, unknowingly, and we do commit sins willingly at times. But if we're honest about it, and we think about the consequences of our sin and the way they separate us from God and all the other things that can happen because of our sin, we would say, yes, pastor, I do not want to sin. I would prefer if I could stay away from sin or not sin or those sort of things. But Scripture tells us that if we eat the bread or drink the cup in an unworthy manner, that word worthy is the same word we get our word worship from. So you can say there an unworshipful manner. So if at any time you come to receive the Lord's Supper and you're doing it for an unworshipful manner, you are sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. So if when we observe the Lord's Supper, you're just like, oh yeah, I'll take this. Y'all drink the little cup. You've just sinned, friends. Far be it for me, far be it from us as a church body to invite people to this place that we call a sanctuary separate from the world and invite you to sin. That's why we should take it seriously that we prepare ourselves to observe the Lord's Supper. You remember that parable. Turn back over to Matthew 22 if you're quick with your scripture. Matthew 22, we referenced it just last week. In the wedding banquet, this parable that Jesus tells. In Matthew chapter 22, he tells, you know, uh, the the king prepared a banquet, invited people. People are like, "Er, I'm not coming. So Jesus is like, uh, uh, go out and get some more folks. And the more folks came in. Um, And then we got to know the custom of the day before I get to the punchline of why I'm telling you this story in Matthew 22. Um, Is that in that day when you came to a wedding feast, not only did the people feed you like for seven days straight. um, You think weddings are expensive now. Try feeding them every meal for seven days straight, right? But they also gave you a fancy outfit of clothing. Like, because you're a welcomed, invited guest, you got fed and housed, presumptively, for seven days straight, and you get a fancy new outfit that you're supposed to wear at this wedding. Can you imagine the price of that, fathers of daughters? I mean, holy moly. Yeah, Jason Nettleton over here. How many daughters you got, bro? Yeah. uh, Hope you got those savings accounts started already, right? But listen what happened here. 
Verse 11, Matthew twenty-two, eleven. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man, so just one, there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Presumptively, the clothes would have been a gift. Presumptively, by custom, as Jesus is telling it, the dude would have showed up at the door and they'd been like, hey man, here's your new clothes. Go change and you can come in. But for whatever reason, the dude says, nah, I'm not wearing the wedding clothes. I want to wear my own stuff, man. I think my own clothes are cool. Or I just want to thumb my nose at the king. Or for whatever reason, Jesus doesn't tell us that. But then look at what it says. Verse 12, friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Well, because the king's talking to him. He's like, uh, 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 you know, doesn't know what to say. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What? The dude isn't wearing the right clothes and you chuck him outside and you give this apocalyptic weeping and gnashing of teeth? Well, remember, it's a parable and Jesus is teaching a truth. What truth is he teaching? He's teaching about the wedding feast of the Lamb and that believers in Jesus need to be prepared for that. And that includes that our outward appearance demonstrates that we're holy, sanctified, and set apart. In other words, no fakers are going to get in. You can't pretend it. You can't do it your own way. You've got to ready yourself to receive the Lord's Supper as the Lord's Supper is a type, a picture of the wedding feast of the Lamb that all believers will observe in heaven someday. We've got to be ready, friends. That's what Matthew 22, 11 through 13 teaches us. Your next point there from verse 28. Ask the question, how should I ready myself? We'll look more deeply at that in the end of our sermon here. But verse 28, a man ought to examine himself. That word examine in the Greek there means look very closely, study that you might know every detail before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. Examine myself. We're going to take more time to look at that. But think about being thoughtful about who you are and what you've done and your motives and your life and any sins you need to confess, that's the idea at hand. The third question here, what if I do not ready myself? Well, we got the parable from Jesus in our mind where the dude got chucked outside with weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's a little fresh in our mind, but let's see what verses 29 and 30 says. It says, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of our Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you fallen asleep, died. Paul says the reason so many of you are sick, the reason so many of you are dying is because you take the Lord's Supper for granted. I'm like, whoa, time out, Paul. Is it that serious that God will cause or allow physical ailments on our body if we do not take serious our preparation and our seeking Christ's righteousness? To prepare ourselves to receive the Lord's Supper? That's what Scripture says. Remember, it says, any of you who eats and drink without recognizing the body and blood of Jesus. You've heard me say before, if you've been here, that word recognize in the Greek is the same word for a man and woman, husband and wife, knowing each other biblically. So in other words, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, if you are not part of the family of faith, 
then you do not know Jesus that intimate way, you should not receive the Lord's Supper. So this is where I always say to boys and girls, boys and girls, look at me. When we take the Lord's Supper, the little cracker and the little thing of juice is not a snack for you. If you've trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've talked to your mom or your dad, your grandparents you come with, and you've already trusted Jesus, yes, we want you to take the Lord's Supper and worship with us. But if you have not yet trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it's not for you yet. The Bible says if we let you take it, that you would be sinning. And we don't want you to do that, especially in church. We want this to be a place where God's Holy Spirit fills you and you can be righteous and you can be filled up with all good things instead of bad things like the world wants. Adults, that applies to you too. Teenagers, it applies to you too. That if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you let those things go past you when the tray comes down your aisle. Don't eat and drink condemnation on yourself. You're going to be judged if you do. Jesus says so, or Paul said so on behalf of Jesus there in verse 29 and 30. Let's look at our fourth question. Why does God ask me to ready myself? Verse 31 and 32. Why does God ask me to ready myself? He says, but if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned by the world. So go back to verse 28. A man ought to examine himself. Verse 31, if we judge ourself. What is the same word there? Say it. Self. Well, judge. Yeah, too. Well, no, it was examining one, judge another. But the same word is self. That you and only you should judge yourself to see if you are ready to receive the Lord's Supper. And why do you judge yourself to see if you're ready to see if you observe the Lord's Supper? Because if you don't, God will. And God is a much more critical judge than you. He is absolutely righteous and holy, and he will tolerate no sinfulness. So why does God ask me to ready myself? So that he won't have to judge me. Because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his love for me, he asked me to judge myself. And that's why you got a Yahoo preacher up here hollering about you right now, hollering about it right now. I want you to be ready not to eat and drink condemnation on yourself, to prepare your heart, to seek to get rid of all the things that could distract you. So let's talk. And we've got just a few more minutes and a whole bunch of scriptures, so I'm going to have to go fast, and I might skip a few of them. I'm talking faster already. Can you tell? Are you ready to write some answers? The second major point on your outline is steps to ready myself. The first one you've got to ask yourself is, am I truly a Christ follower? Am I truly a Christ follower? Have I trusted Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord? Can I say that for sure? You know, I ask the question, If you were to die today and go to heaven and you were to stand before God and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? 80% of folks, even church folks say, well, because, you know, I don't do this, I don't do that, and I'm better than that guy and I do good things. That's a works answer. It's not by grace, it's not, or excuse me, it's not by works, it's by grace we are saved through faith. And once we are saved, we should do good works. People should know the difference in our lives. But we are saved by God's grace. Am I truly a Christ follower? We've got some other verses to turn to here. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. 
So Paul wrote two books. Actually, two books is what we have in recorded F. Some scholars think it might be three or four different letters mashed together. But 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine, there's that same Greek word, look closely, study, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Now, if you come to me and say, Pastor Aaron, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want to see if you see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Are you convicted of sin? Do you understand Scripture? Things like that that would indicate because the Holy Spirit is there, you are saved. But Scripture says you ought to examine yourself. And what else I'm going to do to you is I'm going to say, I want you to go home, and every time you think about it this week, I want you to pray and ask God to tell me, am I saved or not? Am I a believer in Jesus truly or not? And have Him show you by His Holy Spirit. So it's not my word, it's not your thoughts, but the Holy Spirit teaches you this. That's what it says there. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Turn back a few pages to the book of Romans. Back to the left, a few pages. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That one's a little bit slippery for some of us. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. Okay, so I kind of know or feel like i got a spirit, but how do I know if it's God's spirit, not just my conscience or what I read in a book or, you know, what I thought about last night in a dream? God's spirit will testify in such a way that you know it is God's spirit and you recognize it as unique and you can ask God to tell you, is this him for sure? Are you really saved? Turn back in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 in verses 3 through 6. So back towards the very back. You go to Revelation and you swing back a few pages. 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 6. And what does it say there? It says of Jesus that He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. So not just those that are already saved but everybody who's living. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, that's know intimately, I know Him but does not do what He commands is a liar and the truth is not in Him. In other words, you can say you're a believer in Jesus all day long, but if you don't obey Him, you're lying to yourself and the rest of us. Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. In other words, your obedience to Jesus and his word, the Bible, demonstrates that you are saved. Yes, by our own will, we can obey at times too. But I'm talking about a habit, a pattern, a lifestyle. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Second John, is it Second John? No, it's First John. First John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Some of us need that tattooed on the back of our eyebrows. Or back of our eyelids, excuse me. Eyebrows, we couldn't see Him. So that we're daily reminded that we've got to walk like Jesus walked. Do what Jesus did. Live like Jesus lived. Love like Jesus loved. Give like Jesus gave. And that's the mark of if we're a believer or not. So am I truly a Christ follower? That's the first step to readying yourself. Because we know Scripture said, 1 Corinthians 11, 
that if you're not a believer in Jesus, you should not receive the Lord's Supper. So first, you've got to ask yourself that question. Second question, am I worthy to receive the Lord's Supper? We already read 1 Corinthians 11, 27 and 28 there. And uh, that question of, am I worthy? Have I prepared my heart to worship Jesus in this way? And I want you to turn over to Proverbs, that second scripture listed there. So back in the New Te- or Old Testament, I know, but right about in the middle of your Bible, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 through 14. And you get this good old-fashioned Hebrew couplet poetry with these uh, uh, phrases that one stacks on top of the other here. And listen to what it says. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 and 14. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Do you see how the two are opposed to the, uh, uh, one another? If you can feel, conceal your sin, you're not going to prosper. Bad things are going to happen to you. But if you confess and renounce your sin, you're going to find mercy. There's a promise there. There's a warning on the one hand. There's a promise on the other hand. Which would you rather have, the warning side or the promise side? Hmm, not very hard to decide. Verse 14, blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. So there you've got the positive first, but the negative's coming. But he who hardens his heart, falls into trouble. When you consider your life and the state of your heart right now, and are you worthy, i.e., are you coming to Jesus in a worshipful way? Are you fearing of Him, giving proper reverence, awe, and respect to God for who He is and what He's done? Or are you like, eh, I'll do whatever I want. My way. Eh, I don't care what the pastor said about taking the Lord's Supper. It's just a little cracker thing, a little cup of juice, man. Who cares? Sounds like a hard heart, not to me, but to Scripture. You've got to examine yourself to see if you're worthy to receive. Let's go on to your third question. So the third question says, have I dealt with any known sin? There are some sins that are unknown to us because we don't know it's a sin. Um, You know, either we haven't thought about it or, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's kind of like if you break a certain traffic law and you didn't know it was a traffic law, you're still guilty, right? The policeman can still write you a ticket because you are operating a motor vehicle. Therefore, you should know the rules of the road. And he could say something to you like the cliche, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, the same thing applies to God's Word. So there are times when we may not know that what we have done is sin, but I believe most of us know what we've done is sin. And it's not a matter that we're ignorant of our sins. It's a matter that we have not thoroughly examined ourselves to confess those sins, that we haven't sat with Jesus all alone with a journal in our Bible and said, Jesus revealed to me my sinfulness, that I might confess it to you, that I might be worthy to receive the Lord's Supper. Listen to what it says in John 3, 19. This is the verdict. Light, capital L, that's Jesus, has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We can see that, amen? Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light. That's true. Why do you think more bad stuff happens at nighttime? 
There's just this natural proclivity of bad people to be in the dark. They want to hide their deeds. It's the way we're wired. And will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And I'm not just talking about bad guys creeping around trying to break into businesses or homes. I'm talking about the way we live when we're doing something we shouldn't do. I remember my cousin Andy. And my cousin Andy was kind of a a skinny kid, right? And uh, we were over one time at our uh, other aunt and uncle's house, Uncle Tom and Aunt Fran. And she had this formal living room, you know, back in the 70s when you had the formal living room with the fancy couches and chairs and maybe a piano and you never went in there unless the pastor came over and something special was happening, right? And in her formal living room, she had this big kind of etched glass candy dish full of hard candies. And that was such a temptation for us kids when we went over there. But we knew we weren't supposed to go in that room. But one time, my cousin Andy, I guess his temptation got the best of him. And I'll never forget him coming out of that room. And my Aunt Fran walking up to him, Andy, you don't know who ate the candy, do you? His mouth is overflowing with candy. He can hardly speak the words because he's got like 20 pieces of candy in there. And I'm going, wow, that's just stupid. The God of the whole universe sees everything that you and I do whether we have candy in our mouth or not. And God says to us, um, Hey, um, Aaron, you don't know anything about that sin right there, do you? Oh, God. And I'm as guilty as my cousin Andy eating the candy. Yes, I just said a rhyme. I'm sorry. Do we know any? Have we dealt with our known sin? Have we confessed the things we know we cannot hide? Turn over to Acts 26, Acts 26, 20. Paul is testifying about his life before King Agrippa. And he says, For to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and also in Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That we should repent. Repent means turn away. And that because we have repented, we demonstrate it by the way that we live, that we've dealt with any known sin and we've dealt with it so much so that we've done something that shows we've dealt with it, that we've put up barriers, that we've got accountability, that we've run the other way, whatever it takes, whatever your sin is, you've got to do it. And that last scripture there on the third question, 2 Timothy 2.19, that says that everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Let's get to your fourth question. Am I watchful for temptations? Am I watchful of temptations for temptations? You can choose the preposition you like the best. Matthew 26, 41. What does Jesus say? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We know 
the areas that we're most easily tempted. We know And we must prepare ourselves, confessing those sins when we recognize them in the past, but also preparing ourselves because we're going to be tempted in the future again. Watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Ephesians 4, 1, your next scripture there. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That the way we live demonstrates that we are living a life worthy worshipful of the calling we've received because Jesus loved us and he gave his life, shed his blood, let his body be broken to pay the penalty for our sins that we ought to live a life that is worship for him. Friends, we talk at Southview about another one of our values is a worshipful lifestyle. That means that it's not just what we do here on Sunday morning that's worship. It's the way we live our life. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a uh, bank teller or a real estate agent or a school teacher, or a retiree, or a little kid that's a student. The way we live our lives is worship. One last scripture for you today, and that's 1 John again. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Am I watchful of temptations? John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do not have that kind of wholehearted devotion to the things of this world. Your wholehearted devotion should be to one and one only, Jesus. And when we seek to ready ourselves for him in observing the Lord's Supper, we take it serious to confess our sins Repent and turn from our sins and be watchful for any temptations along the way. Let's pray. Our Father, this is a sermon that was not easy, but a sermon we needed to hear. That we might be serious and sober-minded about what it means to worship you through the Lord's Supper because of what you've done for us. That it's no small thing that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus, perfect and sinless as he was, to take the penalty for our sins and to die on an old rugged cross. So, Father, as we think about what Jesus has done for us, would you increase our devotion to him? So much so that we would be willing, by your spirit, to repent of the things that we know we've sinned and to turn and to live a life different, devoted, worshipful. So, Father, it's our prayer For any person today that's heard these words, who's not sure that they're already converted and a follower of Jesus, a Christian, that they'd make that decision for sure today. It's our prayer for any that are believers, but maybe have wandered so far away that they're not sure if they've saved, are saved, that they would make that decision. And even today, 
by your Holy Spirit, you would confirm their salvation. And Father, for those of us who need to confess our sins and return to you in order that we might be ready to receive the Lord's Supper in a few weeks, we can do that right now. There's no need to wait. As we sing, would we obey? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.